The first thing we put on our feet after the Boston Marathon were our UFOs recovery shoes. In fact, I packed mine in my checked bag that I picked up after I crossed the finish line, and I put them on right there at the baggage buses. I wore them on the plane home, and I'm still wearing them a week later. The revolutionary UFOAM technology absorbs 37% more impact than traditional footwear foam materials to reduce stress on your feet and joints. But really, all you need to know is that they feel heavenly on your feet after a hard workout, long run, or a race. And now that the cooler weather is here, I've pulled out my OOMG boot. It's even stylish enough to wear to a client meeting I had last week. Be sure to check out the entire UFOS collection, including their Project Pink collection, which donates 100% of profits for cancer care and research, at UFOS.com. That's O-O-F-O-S dot com. We are very excited to announce our newest sponsor of the podcast, White Paws Run Mitts. You may recall Red Mitts because their founder, Susan Clayton, was a guest on our podcast in 2020. Susan's story is very interesting. She decided to start a small business and she started Run Mitts because as a runner and coach herself, she realized that she couldn't find a glove or mitten that allowed her to take her gloves off and put them back on when her hands got intermittently hot and cold, which happens to so many of us as the temperature changes. So particularly this fall and this winter, I know I will be wearing my run mitts to run every time I head out. They are so convenient and they're also really cool because they have a flap. So when you decide that your mittens are getting your hands too warm, you just simply lift the flap up and push them up your arms and then voila, you don't have to run around holding your gloves or mittens as many of us do when we take them off. They're also great for racing. So check out Run Mitts at runmitts.com and use the code RFF10 to get a 10% discount on your order. That's runmitts.com and use the code RFF10. Thank you so much to Run Mitts for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm uh, enjoying the recovery. And the only complaint I have is that our weather's gotten cold. So I know we were complaining all summer. Actually, I was not complaining, but you know, a lot of people complain all summer that weather's too hot and this is a gorgeous running weather, but I'm cold. And I, I get a little sad at the beginning of fall because I know that winter running is coming and you know, I don't, that's not my favorite running, but, um, but no, I'm feeling good and just been taking it easy and doing some, um, kind of some cross training for recovery. I had promised my kids, my kids who are big cyclists and do cyclocross, which is a kind of racing on, um, I think of it as like cross country running for cyclists. So it's not quite BMX or mountain biking, but it's racing bikes on um, grass uh, courses with a lot of um, technical, a lot of technical um, aspects to it. And all season they've been bugging me, come to practice, you need to do a race. And my excuse all season has been, I'm not getting injured before Boston. So Tuesday came right after, you know, the day after we got back from Boston and my kids said, Hey, Boston's done. You coming to practice. And Tuesday I said, I am like too sore to come to practice. I can't even get on and off a bike right now. Um, but by Thursday, their Thursday practice, I said, all right, I'll come. So I got one day of practice in and then I signed up for a race. They said, you got to do a race, mom. You've been promising us you're going to do a race. And their race this weekend was, I thought, quote unquote, one of the easier, like less technical races. So um, I said I would do it. It turned out it was actually pretty technical and um, pretty hard. But um, uh, my only goal is do not die and don't embarrass my kids. Uh, and I think I, I definitely succeeded in the first. Hopefully I succeeded in the second. And it was just really fun to do something where I had no expectations. There was no pressure. You know, it's not a running race. So there was no pressure. It was for fun. It was something totally different, totally different systems. It was hard. One of the... Um, 
another coach who was there who knows me had told the announcer that I had just run Boston. So as we go by, you go by many times that, you know, you loop through the course of the announcer. It's really fun. The announcer gets to see people and talk about people many times. So one time I went through and she said, and here's Lisa Levin who just finished the Boston Marathon on Monday. And she yelled at me, hey, Lisa, what's harder, the 25th mile of the Boston Marathon or this race? And I said, hands down this race. <laughs> it was so kidding? hard. It's, it's, oh, it's so hard. It's just like, I think about it like um, a 10K. You're like going all out. You're like redlining because it's just so hard um, for 45 minutes. So it's kind of like a 10K. So it really wasn't very good. I mean, it wasn't pounding my body. It wasn't running, but uh, it was, it was, it was challenging, but it was, I do think that race was harder than the 25th mile of the Boston Marathon. And didn't you end up on the podium? Like, unbelievable full okay. disclosure there were four of us in my category and I was third so I did end up on the no, podium with did. medal that's amazing medal. it was fun it was you know it was very interesting to me to see um because I was racing against people that I know and um, I know they're you know they've done it for a very long time and I would pass them on um the flat areas that just required a lot of power and endurance I would pass them and then they would pass me on the technical sections because I don't have the technical skills. So it's just really interesting. I was talking to one of them after saying like, we could combine your technical skills and my, you know, my endurance and power. Um, we'd be great. We'd like be golden. Um, so definitely the marathon training and the marathon base and running gave me a really strong, if this was just a flat course where we we're just going up and down fields and, you know, going through turns on a flat and it's a grassy field. So pedaling through, it's really hard. And that, fatigues you. Um, but I was okay with that. So, you know, if, if that's all it was, I would have done great. It's when we got into the woods and we had, um, you know, you have really steep uphills that you've got actually got to jump off your bike and run it up and then remount your bike on the top of a off camber, which means like tilted 180 degree turn, and then come down a like super steep, windy, um, you know, <laughs> windy, uh, descent that has a barrier at the bottom. So you've got to then re-dismount and re-over it. If I didn't have that part, I would have done really well. But um, but it was it was a lot of fun. And like I said, I felt like I at least proved myself to my kids and didn't embarrass them too much and I didn't die. So that was my goal. But other than that, like low key on the running, I've been trying to do some cycling. Um, I, I made a commitment to myself to get back to some strength. Um, so actually, uh, you know, our favorite trainer, Kelly Redman is back online and doing some online classes. Uh, we can link her uh, link to her classes in the show notes. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I signed up to get her video for this week because I'm committing to try to get some strength back in with my extra time. What about you? How's recovery going for you? Okay, so I have some follow-up questions to that. So first of all, Lisa, okay, so congratulations. I love your, your modesty. I didn't die. You did great. But I think there may be people listening saying, wait a minute, you're, you're always talking about recovering after a race, not doing anything that would exert yourself the week after the race. So, um explain to me <laughs> listeners sort of why you felt like this was okay to do and and just you know share your thoughts and how this all went and what kinds of systems you were using yeah I mean I I felt like like I've done I have done it's been two years but I've done cyclocross races before so I knew um that it's not it's not the same to me as running at least it's the impact you know like the impact of running it's a different different system it's different um uh you know it's just and I could also control the intensity so of course you get a little competitive when you get out there. Um, I had said, well, you know, I'm gonna take it really easy. And I, I was pushing for sure. And I felt like it was really hard, but again, was not pounding my legs. Um, felt like just totally different, different use of, I, I wouldn't recommend it for, for anybody. It was, it was almost a week after I was feeling pretty recovered. And, you know, the week in between I was doing more, you know, I was, I was really recovering. Um, so uh, I, I just, I do think for me, at least it was different than the impact of running. 
Gotcha. Well, for me, I would have died. So I really appreciate and admire what you did. Just the vision of you going down the hill, like toward the barrier and then having to jump off your bike and get over the barrier. To me, that that in and of itself, that's a deal breaker <laughs> to me. I let just, me tell you, let me, I'll go back and say when I pre-rode this, so you get to pre-ride the course a few times just to, you know, practice in the warm up oh, and practice. And I did it. And every single time I pre-rode it, I walked my bike up the hill. I carefully walked my bike down the hill. It was even hard to go down the hill. I did not ride it. And I told my kids, like, I don't think I'm going to be able to ride that section of the course. And when I went through the first time, I think I saw somebody ride their bike up, remount it, and then ride it down. And I was just like on a wing and a prayer. I was like, all right, well, if I crash it going downhill, at least it was very soft, like dirt and kind of like a very soft, um, which makes it harder to ride, but it was soft. I said, all right, at least I'll be going really slowly down the descent because I'm on my brakes. Uh, and, and so I tried that for the first time during the race. I hadn't tried it in practice. I had been walking my bike up the hill and back down the hill. So um, yeah, it was scary though. Okay, well, you never cease to amaze me, Lisa, and I'm sure I'm echoing the sentiments of, of those who are listening. You're very humble, but man, you are such a tremendous athlete. Like, I can't even imagine doing that ever, let alone the week after Boston. So You haven't been doing that the week after Boston? <laughs> Conversely, so you, doing? You, you asked me about my recovery, and I was yeah. a really impressive response. I have done so little. I, I have just done so little, and I think... Part of it is that um, I know in the back of my head that we're, we're fortunately running this again in April. And I know myself and I know I never want to look back on this time and say, I should have recovered more. I should have given myself more space from that race so that I can get back to running fresh and excited again. So I'm, I, it hasn't been hard for me. I have not run a step. Um, typically by a week, I'm ready to run. I'm, I'm just not there yet. I rode my bike a couple of times, my, my, uh, Peloton a few times, which I barely, barely rode. In fact, I rode it so little during this cycle of training that I was getting, uh, emails from Peloton personally inviting me back, asking me where I was. They were concerned about me, but <laughs> I just couldn't fit in time for more cardio with, the running I was doing plus the strength training plus life. So I did get reacquainted with my bike this week a little bit, did some low impact rides, did a lot of walking this week. And I went to, um, I did some strength training, mobility work and core work. And that has re was really a game changer for me to be able to do both. I did um, a couple sessions with my friend, Lauren uh, Bernard, who I've been working with, and she's wonderful. She owns Sunny and Lauren's uh, gym, which is local, and she's right around the corner from me. And she's been doing some really great mobility and core work with me up to the marathon. And then after doing things that I wouldn't do on my own, because she has some apparatuses in her gym that are really helpful. So um, that was great. I feel really good. I am pretty tired. I think that's just distributable to life, but also I think the adrenaline from last weekend uh, took a little while to uh, release from my body. And I just think I'm feeling a little tired from all of it, but, but very happy with um, how everything went down last weekend, of course. And um, just, I'm getting there, getting there and ready to slowly run again, but not, not quite there yet. I think my first run back will probably be our Lululemon group run. We're finally back and doing a group run this Saturday, October 23rd. We are so excited. It's been two years, almost two years. Um, since we've been able to do a group run uh, with Lululemon Gaithersburg. So those who are local who want to join us will be kicking off our group run at 9 a.m. in front of the 
Lululemon downtown crown store and then stay after um, because they are, from what I understand, going to be doing some nice things for those who attend the run. Um, I can't give details, but um, I, they did say something to me when I stopped by the store that they will be doing something nice for those who attend and run. So, yeah. I'm so, so excited about that. It's yeah. going to be great. It's going to be great. Awesome. We're excited to see everyone. Hopefully people will come. We always worry. Like, I know we felt the same way with our meetup in Boston, but we always were like, do you think people are going to come? We just, it, it's just sort of a weird feeling when we're not sure and we set up these events and it's always so great to see people and it always works out, but we're excited to, to see everyone. And it's for runners and walkers of all levels. We'll just run for an hour. If you prefer to walk, that's great too. We'll be doing some loops and uh, yeah, it'll be great. So today we wanted to touch on something that we are seeing a lot of buzz about, um, understandably after Boston specifically, and that is, I didn't have the best race and should I run another in this training cycle? Because I think I'm really fit and I didn't quite hit my goal. So should I try another within my training cycle to get the marathon time that I think that I am able to run? So we wanted to take a few minutes to talk about the decision tree that goes into making that decision. And then after that, we're going to welcome one of our very own runners, Caitlin, who is going to talk about her experience with running a marathon that didn't go so well and then running a subsequent marathon uh, that allowed her to BQ very successfully and what that looked like and what her training looked like and how she was able to accomplish that. So we're gonna kick it off first with our decision tree. And this is what we believe one should consider when determining whether to run a second marathon in the same training cycle. Yeah, so first what you wanna do, the kind of the first step in that is to look at the marathon you just did and look at your training and your fitness and determine, was that my potential? So, and can I do better? Um, was it that bad? You know, Was it that off of what I could have done? So really look at uh, the race you had and not only looking at um, you know, looking at what was your goal, um, either your own personal goal or the goal that your coaches gave you, what was your reasonable goal? And was that, was that an achievable goal? So looking at, you know, it's hard, it's hard for us as coaches and as runners to say, what was my reasonable goal? Because we didn't have a lot of races leading up to goal marathons. So it's hard to say like, well, I ran a half marathon in X time. I should have been able to run the marathon in that. And I was way far off of that. Um, but really being honest with yourself, like if you were aiming for a uh, 330 and you hit a 342, like was 330 really in your range? Was it, um, was 342 really that bad? You know, wh why do you want to run another one? Is it to achieve what you thought you was your potential? Is it to qualify for Boston? If it's to qualify for Boston, honestly, you know, the deadline for qualifying for 2022 Boston, April is coming up in early November. Um, so if you're not going to be running a race before then, if you're going to be running a race in late November or December, if you're looking at that and it's, you know, give yourself some recovery time, really you're looking at 2023 Boston and that qualifying window um, is open until uh, registration begins, which would be in September of 2022. So do you need to run that? Do you need that of uh, that marathon? Two marathons in an, uh, one training cycle is a lot on your body. So it's kind of a risk benefit analysis. What's the risk? What's the benefit? So looking at your race that you did. Now, looking at your race that you did, maybe there were factors that would make you think you could run a faster marathon. Um, maybe it was hot and humid. We had that a lot with um, Chicago and with Boston. Maybe the weather conditions out of your control, they weren't ideal. Maybe you were not feeling 100%. And this is, Caitlin will talk about um, her experience. And we've had several runners this cycle who just weren't feeling great. We're coming down with a cold, COVID. You know, we've seen it with um, not only our runners, but with BD Deutsch, who ran at Berlin. 
with COVID. Um, so if that is a factor, again, something out of your control, then that would point to, yes, you know, you have the ability to run a faster marathon. Um, so that's kind of the first step is looking at your race and what, um, what is your motivation? What is your reason? And is it reasonable to expect that you could perform better um, given the circumstances? Absolutely. And, and, and looking at, is it reasonable to expect you to perform better? In addition to being realistic about your original goal, looking at the weather, also things that maybe take a little bit longer to tweak than the time that one would need to turn around and run another marathon in the same cycle. So for example, if your nutrition was off and it's a, an easy fix, like, hey, you didn't take enough nutrition, here's what you need to do. But maybe it was something where your nutrition was off and you had digestive issues throughout the race. Uh, is that something that you want to try again so soon? Or is that something you want to be mindful of and tweak for a future training cycle? And if so, would it make a big difference to run another race again? So uh, definitely something to talk to. You can talk to us about it if you're one of our runners or your coach or bounce the idea off of others. But you want to make sure if you're going to go out and run a marathon a second time, the same cycle, that is a very mindful, purposeful decision and not one, I was disappointed, I'm going to try again. And I'm going to throw darts at and see what else works. It's no, here's what I'm going to change. Here's why this happened. And I believe the next time this won't happen. So once you've made your decision and you are following the category where, yes, you believe that you could have run a faster time and the circumstances are different, whether it's weather or sickness or some other reason that you want to do a second marathon, then it's about selecting a marathon in terms of time and place. So you want to select a marathon that is not obviously too close to the marathon you just ran, because of course you need recovery time, unless you're Shalane Flanagan. But you also, you don't want to choose one that's too far. I mean, choosing one that's uh, two months away is a little bit far. It's not really the same training cycle. So then that's a different decision tree. So we're just talking about something within the same training cycle. We would say, try and find one within four to six weeks from the original race, four to six weeks. So for many of um, our runners, for example, who ran, uh, let's say Erie. Erie was uh, second weekend in September and perhaps they feel like it wasn't their best day. Um, many of them are choosing mid-October marathons. For runners who ran an early, Chicago, early marathon like Chicago in October, uh, we have one runner who unfortunately contracted COVID, didn't realize it until after her race, and she's considering heavily doing Philly. That's about six weeks out. So that's five, five weeks out. That gives a runner enough time to recover from the original marathon, do a, re a reverse taper where you ramp back up, but not fully, and then taper again for the second marathon. And Really, the reason we say the training cycle can't be longer than about four to six weeks between the two marathons is because the marathon is considered to be the last long run. Yeah, exactly. And, um, uh, you know, there's a fine balance between, um, like you said, in terms of the timing, there's a fine balance between that recovery. Um, you don't want to get injured in your second race. You don't want to be burned out in your second race. So between that recovery and, um, and like you said, kind of, um, sort of like a reverse taper. And then uh, maybe depending on the timing, like maybe a little bit of, you know, a little bit of quality work and then tapering again for the race. So, um, you know, you, and again, depending on what the factors were in your original race, was it weather 
was it terrain? Maybe, you know, you don't do well on downhill courses. You don't do well on hilly courses. You felt like that was something, um, travel and logistics are always something that come into play. How far do you want to travel? How much can you travel? How much time can you take off? Um, those are, those are all factors. So after you've kind of determined that and looked at, you know, what are the options? What is the, what's the timing? Um, uh, the next thing that you want to look at is what do you need to do with your training and was really your last long run. So you still need that recovery. So even our runners that we're talking to who are thinking about doing another race, we've said, doesn't matter this week and next week. So the two weeks following your race are going to be the same regardless. So, um, so then it's, you know, again, just figuring out um, how do you, how do you structure your training to get to that second marathon healthy and ready to, to toe the line there and in a better position than maybe you were at the first one. For sure. So there's one word in terms of structuring your training to be able to achieve getting to the start line healthy for a second marathon. And of course, finishing the second marathon healthy and strong, and that is recovery. So just like we talk about in taper, um, when all else fails and you are making a decision as to whether to do a run or not during taper and you're feeling a little bit more tired, we always tell people that the goal of taper is recovery, recovery. And if there's a decision between running a run and sleeping, we always advise runners to choose sleep if one is feeling overtired. So similarly, when deciding whether to run a second race after a goal race, Make that decision somewhat fluid because if you find that your recovery is not going according to plan, you can't force that. So if you just aren't recovering in the way that you thought you, you would be able to recover after that initial race, that's, that's not a, a failure on your part or anything. Everybody recovers differently. And in fact, if the reason that the original race did not go according to plan, for example, because uh, you were sick, then running a marathon while you were unknowingly sick is going to cause you to have more damage to your muscles and to your immune system. And so therefore recovery will take longer. So don't force the recovery, make the decision one that's I'll see how I recover. And then once you feel fully recovered, that's when you can go into that long, medium long run, which should be kind of the run between the original race and the goal race of about 16 miles. And then it's probably going to be, once again, the last long run before you run the race. So it's a real quick turnaround usually, and it can be done, but it really needs to be on a case-by-case -case basis. And there isn't going to be a lot of fitness gained at all between, if any, between the original race and the next goal race. But recovery is going to be the determining factor as to how well you can execute that, that second race. I think that's the key is that knowing that your training for that first race is really what your train, your bulk of your training, that's what it was. And then it's maintenance, recovery and maintenance in between. There aren't any particular workouts I can think of maybe, you know, midway through that, that hiatus in between the two, maybe midway through throwing in just for some confidence building, some marathon pace miles, some goal marathon pace, some tempo work, but there's really no, you know, track workouts or anything. You want to keep your legs sharp, but you want to your goal is to hold on to the fitness that you built that you could have used on that first race that just circumstances didn't come together and get healthy, become stay healthy and get to the start line of the second race. And that's um, exactly what we've had uh, many of our runners do. And Caitlin's going to talk about that. Um, and it's really just also, I think it's a big, um, big uh, mental 
exercise to not let that first race get in the way of, you know, believing that you can achieve your potential in the second race. So it's kind of not, um, not get, going down that rabbit hole of, wow, maybe I'm not in shape. Maybe I couldn't do it. Like it's knowing that you, your training prepared you well and circumstances just weren't right. And you're going to give it another try. And now how do you do that in a smart and healthy way? And it's really also don't be hard on yourself because everyone recovers differently and every body is different. Um, there are some people that recover very quickly from marathons and are able to run another with ease while others, you know, a marathon really takes a lot more out of them and the recovery takes longer. It's not that you train one person train better than another, or one person's more fit than another. It's just how our bodies respond to racing. I know for me personally, many, many years ago, I ran, uh, we talk about this race a lot, the hot Boston in 2012. I knew my potential. I knew that race was that my race time was not as good as it could have been because obviously it was so hot. And a bunch of us decided to, after that race, about five weeks later, go up to the Poconos and run the Poconos marathon. And I had never done that before. I did a reverse taper. I, I got to the race. And the mistake that I made is that I chose a second race that was very close to the terrain of Boston, which is a very net downhill course. So my body, which was already beat up from running a same, similar net downhill course at Boston, pounding my quads, which we all do at Boston for the first half of the race, if not more, and then going and turning around and doing the same type of terrain for the second race. And my ITB band really, my ITB acted up around, I'd say it was around mile 20 from what I recall at the Poconos race. And it ended up not being a good ending for me because I just wasn't able to uh, maintain my pace uh, thanks to my soreness. Now I tried, it didn't go well. It's not that I failed, but I knew for me doing that test that my body is not one that is able to withstand doing two marathons in the same training cycle on the same course. So everyone's different. It doesn't mean that one person is, is performing better than another. It just means that we all respond differently to training, but using this decision tree to make that decision is the first step because it should never be something we just try for the heck of it because marathons take a lot out of us. And as we say a lot on this podcast, we want to run for the long run and we want to stay strong and healthy forever, not just for one cycle. Absolutely. That's right. So Looking forward to talking to Caitlin, hearing about her experiences doing exactly what we're talking about and her reflections on that, and also um, find out about her Boston. Lisa, I hope you have a great week. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to hear from Caitlin as well. And uh, for those who are able to join us this Saturday, October 23rd, we hope to see you all in person. We are really looking forward to it. Bye. Can't wait to see you, Julie. <laughs> you too, Lisa. Bye. Caitlin, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. What's what do people say? Um, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> you are a long time listener. You're actually a long time RFF runner client. We have been coaching you since 2017. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I'm approaching yeah, my like, five year anniversary. I love. We need to get like some special five year anniversary gear for for our long term runners. So, um, you know, it's been so great to to get to know you and become friends with you and coach you over the last almost you know five years. Um, and you know, you came to us in in the beginning, sort of already a, a strong and experienced runner, and hoping to to qualify for Boston. And um, you know, we are talking this week about uh, kind of optimizing your, you know, if you have a, a target race and it doesn't go as planned, how to make the decision and how to train to get to 
a race where you can really put that uh, fitness on display and really put it to good use and not not you know feel like a training cycle was wasted just because you didn't have a great race day. So we're going to focus on your 2018 race season. And in yep. 2018, um, you did some you know shorter races. We focused at the beginning of 2018 kind of on shorter distance, like half marathon and like the Marine Corps marathon 1775, was 17, whatever, 17K that Marine Corps has that can get you a guaranteed entry into Marine Corps. And you had some really strong um, performances. And I know your, I think your, P, uh, your PR, your, your half marathon um, that you did earlier in uh, 2018 was a 144, which kind of point told us that you had the ability to run around a 330-ish uh, marathon. And at the time we were looking at qualifying for Boston 2020, at which mm-hmm. point you were going to be 40 years old. So your qualifying time was a 3:40, so we were kind of looking to get you a finishing time under that with a cushion. And we knew from your race times that year that that was certainly within your within your abilities. So um, you know, we got to Marine Corps Marathon, and I think our pacing was you know targeted at about 3:35 or so. And I remember Julie and I came out to cheer, and we were tracking you, and we came, we were in Crystal City, and you had you know you're right on target with all your first splits. And as we were watching the tracker, I noticed you were starting to fall off, and I was getting worried because. We know you're a strong runner and, um, you know, I started getting a little bit worried. And by the time we saw you in Crystal City, which is like mile 21, maybe you're somewhere 20, 21, somewhere around there. You said, I just, I feel nauseous. You, you, you did not look great. You said you weren't feeling great. And we knew it wasn't going to be uh, the day we hoped it to be. But I remember telling you, just finish as strong, just finish as, you know, finish as strong as you can. And you finished in 350, 352, 353, like right around there, which was a great finish, but certainly not what we were looking for. Um, so, um, so maybe why don't you kind of pick up and talk a little bit about Marine Corps and, and what happened at Marine Corps and what you felt about Marine Corps um, reflecting back on it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's see, Marine Corps 2018. Um, I've been flying in from a business trip uh, the day before the race, which I think was like red flag number one, right? That I was going to be in a conference room with about 12 other random um, individuals, but I felt fine. I was sticking to my uh, pre-race rest and nutrition plan, and I thought I was feeling um, really strong. But as the race started that morning, I noticed that I was shivering maybe more than normal, definitely more than other people, um, you know, standing in my corral waiting for the gun to go off. And I was like, well, I'm underdressed. I tried not to think too much of it or psych myself out. But after about the halfway point, I just sort of felt like the rug had been pulled out from under me. Like I had nausea that I'd never really had in um, a run, a long run before, not response to taking in nutrition specifically, but just sort of a chronic uh, nausea that really only went away when I walked. And um, so I was starting to take more walking breaks. And at the same time, I was still freezing. And so, you know, in hindsight, there were there were some signs, I guess, that I was probably running with a virus um, in my system. But I was just trying to stay positive in the race and think about where I was going to see my people like Julie and Lisa are going to be there at mile 21. I'm just running to Julie and Lisa. You know, my partner is going to be at mile 23. I'm just running to him. And then it's only a 5K to the finish. So 
I tried not to think about it too much, but running up that last final hill to the finish line at Marine Corps, I will be honest, like I did start to cry. It was just not the race that we'd imagined. And it's really hard to pivot from your A goal to your B goal when the A goal is something as momentous as qualifying for Boston. Um, so I, I had I had myself a good little cry at the finish line, um, you know, when I found my partner afterwards. And it took a couple of days until I noticed that I wasn't recovering like normal. I think this is my fourth marathon thereabouts. Um, and I noticed that I was sore longer than I had been for other marathons. And that's about when you and I checked in for our post-race debrief. And you really helped me put the pieces together that it wasn't a shortcoming in my training, that it wasn't a, um, a biomechanical issue, that it really seemed like I'd had something in my system and perhaps given that particular set of conditions, the best way forward, the best way to put Marine Corps behind me was to focus on another race. And I'd done um, Rehoboth the year before, loved it. It's the first weekend in December. It's a beautiful beach town. You get to run along the boardwalk and through this gorgeous state park. And so you helped me put together this plan to, to see if I could pull off the times we both hoped that I was capable of at Marine Corps and definitely, um, definitely getting back in the game and picking the next race was the biggest step for me in reframing what happened at Marine Corps and realizing that it didn't define me. Right. And that's what we talk about a lot is that one day doesn't necessarily define all the training you'd put in. And we knew from your training that you were, you're capable of a lot more. So I went back to look at your schedule just to kind of get a sense of what we did. And, um, you know, that first week after you did no running whatsoever, you took totally off and you, know, you did a little walking, you know, very easy recovery. Uh, you did your first run. The so Marine Corps was on a Sunday, the next Saturday. So almost a week later, you did a very very easy five mile run. Um, you know, we checked in, you were feeling pretty good by then. Um, and then our next few weeks we did, I noticed um, week two, the week second week after Marine Corps, it was 31 miles and all recovery, easy recovery effort. And it was every other day. So we really, you know, continued that recovery through the second full week. The third full week, we started adding a little bit of um, fartlek. So just a little bit, shake out your legs and some strides. So, you know, some really basic stuff. Um, and we got up to 40 miles and we went back to a long run of 15 miles. And then that was, so that was two weeks after, after um, Marine Corps and you kept it really easy. I checked back all on your paces. Everything was soon. You're always good about knowing when, you know, when to keep it easy. Um, we did one long, longer, long run. And that was in the fourth week after, so three weeks after. And we always, our, our general rule of thumb that we like to go by is that it usually takes about a day of recovery for every mile race. So on a marathon, it's going to be three to four weeks of really your body, even if your body feels recovered, your body is still undergoing the process of recovery. Um, so three weeks after Marine Corps, you did a very easy 20 mile run just to get one long run. And then we started tapering again. So then we went, that was kind of like a pyramid. We built up and then we went back, went back down. And the only faster work you did, and those were in like the fourth and fifth week leading up to the six weeks between 
Marine Corps and Rehoboth. And the only faster things we did were a couple of tempo runs where you ran some intervals at half marathon pace. So to kind of get your legs turning over again. And we tapered back down and got you back to the marathon. And um, I am happy to report that you then finished Rehoboth in 333, which was plenty of cushion, um, which unbeknownst to us, you know, 20, uh, that was 2018, that was qualifying you for 2020 Boston. So you registered, eagerly registered in 2019 for Boston. And then wah, wah, <laughs> we know what happened to 2020 Boston, which was disappointing. And you ended up doing it virtually. Um, but luckily, um, you were able to get into the the rescheduled 2021 um, Boston. So I think it was just a really, again, really highlights. Um, we, we just talked about um, Julie and I just talked about kind of the, the decision tree that you go through in terms of a marathon, if you're going to do a second marathon in a season. And the first step is looking at your current, your race that you did. And, and was it really underperforming? Uh, was it really not the time you wanted? And truly for you, that was the case. We knew you were capable of more. We think there was some, you know, we thought there was some little something going on under the surface, whether it was a virus or fatigue or whatever it was, that something wasn't right. And was it the time you wanted? No, it wasn't. It wasn't your qualifying time that you wanted. That's what you like you said. Your A goal was really a Boston qualifying time. Um, so then we looked at how much time do we need? Um, you know, we needed we like at least four, ideally closer to six weeks. And could we find a course that made sense? And you had done Rehoboth before. We know you're a better runner in the cooler weather. So we knew that, you know, that weather was going to be better for you. The course is flat. So that was going to be favorable. So all of that fit together, the timing, the course and play to your strengths. And then our next step was how do we do, how do we recover and how do we maintain the fitness that you built um, throughout that, that period of time and make sure you got to the start line healthy. And we did all that and it all came together um, and you got to Rehoboth and had a really strong race, which was super, super exciting. So, um, so I wanna shift a little bit and then talk about Boston because I think we have a lot to learn from you uh, on Boston too. You had, you know, you had some, Great training. Um, it was, we always good know going into summer training for you that that's going to be hard um, uh, training some people. And we have many runners like this and many runners listening are going to say, yes, that's me. You just don't do well in the heat. It's just, you know, you know, your body has to slow it down. You know, you're going to struggle in the heat. And that for you, we knew was going to be a challenge going to training for a September Boston. And I will say that with, with all respect and props to you, that there were a couple of times where you almost said, forget it, I'm throwing in the towel. Like, I don't even, I'm not going to go to Boston. And I said, no, 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 you worked too yeah. hard for this. And you knew that you would work too hard for that. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a challenge for you, um, but, you know, training was going well. And then why don't you kind of tell, walk us through what happened a few weeks before Boston and what the last few weeks of Boston training looked like. Yeah, really. Yeah. Or not training as the case may be. Right. Yeah. It was the, um, the week before what should have been my last 20 miler. And as you said, I'm just terrible in the heat. I fall apart. So I'd, really been struggling um, on my long runs and also especially uh, on my hill repeats, which was really scary going into Boston. Um, and then just before that last 20 miler, so right before I was supposed to start um, tapering, I, I had what felt like a tightness in my lumbar region um, that over the course of a Friday night went from a couple tight muscles to muscle spasms from my shoulder to my hip. Uh, and I never, I'm very lucky. I'd never had serious back pain before and um, was terrifying, 
absolutely terrifying. Uh, so I reached out to you. Um, I reached out to uh, the wonderful Rachel Miller, who um, is such a fabulous physical therapist and has been a guest on this podcast before. Um, and Rachel recommended an orthopedist uh, for me here in DC. So I really leaned into my network to get help with this problem. And uh, my orthopedist, Dr. Levin, eventually diagnosed um, a strain or a sprain in my L45 facet joint. Um, so the good news was that it wasn't um, a pinched nerve. It, there, my discs were healthy, but I had to basically stop running until the Boston Marathon. I ran a total of, I ran nothing at all for two and a half weeks. And then uh, just in the immediate week before Boston, went on a couple of two mile runs basically just for the confidence building to make sure that my back wouldn't um, seize up or start spasming. And I would, you know, that I could at least make it to the first medical tent on the course. <laughs> um, so it was, yeah, no, it was no a surprises on race day. You didn't want any surprises on race day. Right. Nothing new right. on race day, including back spasms. Right. Um, so, so it wasn't an ideal end to my training cycle. Uh, I was exceptionally well rested, um, but I was also feeling a little rusty, a little less confident than I wanted to be on race day. And while the forecast um, was really ideal for spectators, upper 60s to, to low 70s is not ideal for me. 90% um, humidity, 90% humidity. I know. Yeah. 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 So, so we took so, that into account in your race plan and we knew you were coming in. We wanted to make sure, you know, our goal, I think in the end we had decided, we agreed was for you to enjoy Boston. You're finally in Boston for you to enjoy Boston and be able to get to the finish line without back problems and healthy enough to then go on. And yes, <laughs> and we'll talk about that later, but then go on to do uh, another, you know, do a later winter marathon road back to Rehoboth. Yeah. And it was, and that part worked really well as in um we'd taken such good care of my back i honestly feel like it feels better and stronger now than it did before boston um but there were a couple things that i think despite all of my visualization i hadn't anticipated for instance that was the fastest field that i've ever run in and so to run at my um my easy pace meant that there were people whizzing by me for just about four hours. Um, and it's not that I'm the person who always passes, but there's something psychological about getting past when you're already struggling, you know, because of the heat, it, it gets you down. Um, so between that and um, a time that was totally respectable, four hours and 45 seconds, but significantly slower than the time that I'd registered for Boston with. Uh, it took me about a week to kind of successfully reframe the experience and remember that I went there as a victory lap, as a celebration of all of the work I'd already done, not to achieve some new high. Yeah, walk us through that. That to me is really important. And I think 
really good um, example for a lot of people because a lot of people are struggling with how they performed at some of their recent marathons, whether it was because of weather or whatever, just whatever reason wasn't exactly what they set out. Talk, walk us through that process a little, because I know for you, you know, I talked to you right after the race and you were pretty bummed and down. And then you took a little bit of time and you came back and you said, you know what, I I, I feel better. So like what happened in between, like what happened that week that made you help, helped you reframe that? You know, one of the biggest things um, was that I took the time to uh, spend a weekend up in Ithaca, New York, which is my happy place. And um, going to a, a place psychologically, but also physically that is really comforting where um, I feel like I have a stronger sense of myself and um, and my history and my values. I was just like, that's right. You know, man, that was just a race. This is just a hobby. Um, I have I have done some really incredible things, including just qualifying for Boston. And nobody except for me thinks that this was a negative outcome. Why am I the only person who's down on me about this? That literally makes no sense. But I kind of had to go to a place where I felt nurtured, which is to say, I guess I had to start nurturing myself in order to kickstart that reframing. I love that. I love that. And you really, you know, you, 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 I think are harder on yourself than others. I always ask people, you know, what would you tell your friend or somebody else who you coach or that you've encouraged to do a race? You know, you'd say, hey, you did it. You finished strong. Like you finished healthy. You got there in the first place. And I think that's hard though for people um, who, especially who run Boston, we're all kind of type A and we've all have high expectations of ourselves. And like you said, it's hard. It's humbling to watch people pass you on a course and really know that, you know, that you've got to hold yourself back. And um, so all of that is hard. And it's, uh, you know, I compared it to, you know, I said, it's like when you're in just a small, uh, you know, just a really small group of people who are all high achieving you until you step out of that and look in and say, oh, wow, like what we did is really amazing. Um, you know, it, that that's hard to do. So I'm glad that you got to Ithaca and you said kind of a place where you felt um, nurtured and happy and you were able to look, look back on it because um, it's a great, it's a great accomplishment. And you still have a time to get you into April for Boston. Yes. So, so we knew going into that too. And that's, you know, something we always look at with our runners, like what's the goal, but what's the, you know, what's the important goal? Um, and a goal, it's nice to have a goal of requalifying or setting a PR, but what's like the necessary goal, the necessary goal with heroes too, because you already have a qualifying time and you've got another race that we knew Rehoboth was still on the calendar going back to Rehoboth. So we're going to do the same thing we did before. <laughs> exactly. Maybe, but very similar, you know, you've taken this week off. We're going to very carefully build it back up, maybe get in one more long run, depending, making sure, you know, your, your back is still feeling, which it is feeling okay. Now you're, you're seem to be past that. So making sure you get there healthy and all of the fitness that you've built up through months and months. And in this year case, a year and a half of training will, will still be there. Yeah, no, that's really true. I also thought a lot about something that uh, Dave McGilvery said on this podcast, my race, my rules. And I yep. was kind of replying it retroactively, like what Boston means to me doesn't have to be the same thing that it means to other people. Like for other people, it seems to be really important to qualify for Boston at Boston. And that's their tradition. And I grew up in the Boston area. I used to um, pass out water on the course as a little girl. And so oh. I was like, for me, maybe Boston is just always going to be about like reconnecting with my roots. And Rehoboth is where I go to like show what I can do. You know, I get to decide what each of these races means for me and my story as a runner. I love that. That is so perfect. And I think that's such, 
such an important lesson for all of us because again, the races are just they're races, but they're what they are to us. And and what is your goal at that race and what does it mean to you on that particular day? And you know, if the conditions are, you know, the conditions were a little warm for you, even without the back issues leading up to it, the conditions were a little warm, we probably would have said, like, hey, it's not going to be your ideal race conditions. Like, what is what is what do you want to get out of this race? And I think that's a really great way of framing your race and looking at it and, and being able to be proud. Of, of what you've done because you've you've accomplished quite a bit and we know you're going to accomplish more so we are excited to see um what you're able to do and we're great so grateful that we've gotten to work with you and run with you for for so many years and seen you go through so many different you know cycles and challenges that you've responded to and had to deal with but have made you stronger along the way so um so i'm excited to see get get you to a, your happy place in Rehoboth where the weather is going to be colder and we hope in December yep. and um you know and you should be in in great shape for that and I'm going to be there too so I haven't decided yet if I'm going to do probably going to drop down to the half my full marathon was deferred after you ran Rehoboth I think in 2017 and in 2018 Mm -hmm. Um, it must have been maybe in 29 when you ran in 2019. I remember you telling me like how much fun it is, and like everybody who does Rehoboth loves the Rehoboth Marathon, just has a great weekend. I said it was in, I remember it was late in 20, it was right after the race in 2019. I said, I'm gonna sign up with that for that for my fall 2020 race. So I signed up right away in like December or January of 2019 or 2020. I signed up, and then we know what happened. So I got deferred to this year, <laughs> and then mm -hmm. that's not a very good year to run. I already have my fall marathon, so I can switch down to the half, but I would like to be there this year and get to cheer you on and experience the, the magic that is Rehoboth. So thank you so much, Caitlin, for coming on and talking to us today and enjoy the rest of your recovery. And we will certainly be in touch. Absolutely. Thanks, Lisa. Good talking to you. Thanks. Talk to you later, Caitlin. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant, and if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.